0: What has been your response to this series so far? We're talking about relationships, friendships, marriage, sex, and singleness. How do you reckon it's going? Genuinely, take a moment and reflect on it. I've heard a whole range of stuff. Some people have said it feels like open heart surgery. Some people have described it as an affront to their personal and sexual rights. Some have loved it. Some have hated it. I want you to think about why this is important. Why is it important that we even talk about this stuff? Shouldn't we keep all this sexy talk behind closed doors and shame and secrecy and you do whatever you want? Do you want to go to a church which tells you everything you feel comfortable hearing about? Do you want to worship a God who agrees with everything that you say and you think and you do? Everything you say and think and do. I want us to enter today aware of our stance. What's your stance coming into G2 today? Because blindly agreeing with everything and being totally unchallenged by this series is just as risky as being offended and aggressively, dare I say it, blindly against everything that's said in this series. I want you to actually hear what God is saying today, because he might not agree with you, but he is so worth hearing. I believe that there are some people here today who have come back despite feeling judged, feeling ashamed, or feeling angry, and they're already gearing themselves to th- up to think that I'm an idiot. I believe that there are people here who feel exposed and vulnerable and less than worthy and defensive. I believe that you think that we are, whoever we is, or God is, ashamed of you, but I think God is proud of you. The key is to wrestle with this stuff, not just to lay down and forget about it. That's why we're talking about it. I think God wants to speak to you through your shame and turn it into freedom, to speak through your anger and turn it into passion and speak through your feeling of being judged and give you kindness and humility. The most powerful transformations by God in my own life tend to start with me thinking that other people are judgmental and wrong and simple-minded. So if you're thinking anything along those lines, then you are in for a treat, my friend, because God is setting you up for the best freedom and the best wisdom and the best kindness you will ever receive. So sit tight. What's your stance today? I want you to turn to the person next to you or totally fine if you just want to reflect on your own, because this is quite a personal thing. Um, Whatever you want to do, you've got like 30 seconds. What is your stance? Let's recognize it. Go. More seconds. <laughs> All right. What's your stance? That's good. I want us to pray together and to adjust our stance now. Whatever your journey has been in relationships Um, let's adjust our stance because we want to hear from Jesus above everything else I don't want to get in the way and I don't want anything else to get in the way including your own attitude so let's pray God you're here and you're above everything you are so much bigger than all of this stuff so we change our stance now from anger or fear or shame or apathy or arrogance we open our ears to hear your voice we know that you're good We cut off in Jesus' name any other voices that are seeking to get in on this. Any other voices that tell us that we're not good enough, that you're against us, the voices that seek to distract and deceive us, that your truth and your call over our lives is anything but freedom and fulfillment. We are listening to you, Holy Spirit. And so we change our stance so that we can hear you better. Amen. When Ben and I first got married, some of you know that I married to the lovely Ben, um, I went through this really weird phase. I don't know whether it was just that we were more aware of it because Ben hadn't really seen it before in me or whether it was brought to light because we were living together for the first time. Oh, this rug is lethal. Living together for the first time. Um, Maybe it was the trauma of becoming a wife. Maybe I was doing it because I knew subconsciously that finally someone was actually listening to me all the time. I don't know, but it came out that I talk in my sleep. Now, this might not seem weird to you because that might be the case for many of you. Maybe even some of you sleepwalk, in which case, get out. You scare me. Um, But this wasn't just murmuring or like... This was like full-on chat and shouting in my sleep. But the weird thing about it is that there was a theme. (laughs) For a year. For the first year of our marriage, I'd say that a few times a week, genuinely, I would wake up both Ben and myself, sometimes just Ben, because I was shouting about insects in our bed. <laughs> now, can I just clarify that there were, because that was a nervous laugh, there weren't actually insects in our bed. We're not that grim. And there's nothing in our bed that you could think was an insect. Um, so I'll, just, I'll explain. I'll clear it up. So case in point number one, I dreamt that a freckle on my hand turned into a ladybird, and then clumsy old Ben rolled over and knocked it off my hand into the bed and under the sheets. Um, poor naive Ben then gets woken up because I, whilst fully unconscious, am shouting at him to catch the ladybug because it's his fault that he knocked it into the bed. What's so sweet about this story is that this is so early on in our marriage that Ben believed me. And so Ben actually like, pulled off all the sheets and was like, where's the ladybug? Where's the ladybug? Not realising that I wasn't even conscious, I was just like, what the hell are you doing? Case in point number two, I dreamt that I was wearing a beekeeping costume. Never worn one of those in real life. Um, not sure why, but the dream turned into this hideous nightmare when a wasp got into like the mesh helmet bit of the beekeeping costume. Yes, my friends, I had a nightmare about having a bee in my bonnet. So, once again, apparently Ben like wakes up to me screaming about, there's a wasp on my face, you're such an idiot, get it off. And once again, this is pretty early on, so I actually this time I woke up to the sight of Ben being like, where is it? Where is it? And like listening for the noise of a wasp that didn't exist. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to catch an insect before, but it can be pretty challenging and frustrating. Try and guess where this talk's going. Yes. Um, another highlight of early married life was when I have a, had a standoff with a daddy long legs that was on a door. For two hours, because Ben was out, and I felt, I can't take my eyes off it, because if I turn away, it might land on me when I'm not looking. Oh, the fear. <laughs> but this is a really, the point I'm actually trying to make is that this is a really human thing we're always trying to catch stuff we don't want to take our eyes off it because we want to get hold of it we want to be in control of life when it's getting out of hand we like catching someone's eye we like catching things in general we like catching everyone's attention or catching up with what everyone else seems to be doing or catching out our colleagues or bosses or lecturers or spouses when they slip up we catch ourselves on the aspects of ourselves that we don't like or we're ashamed of We try to chase down and catch the things that we value money, affirmation, success, glory, knowledge, relationships, being right, peace, power, rest, security, being the funniest or the most attractive or the most interesting or the most authentic or the most passionate. What I'm saying is, we're all chasing something and we are all out for the catch. Trying to catch a husband, trying to catch a girlfriend trying to catch a lifestyle or a job, trying to chase down happiness or a nice holiday or better conversations or better sex. We chase identity and belonging and dreams and we search out friendships or people who will finally understand us. We chase the feeling of being just okay with ourselves and our past. A good indicator of what we're chasing, in case you can't think of anything, is to check ourselves on what we pray about most. What do you think about most? What do you think about lasting at night? What do you give all your love to? What do you give all your money to? What's it going towards? What's it trying to catch? Is it about what other people think? Is it being liked or loved? Is it being strong and capable? Is it feeling fulfilled, having an identity? What are you trying to catch? What are you chasing? And what if it's just as misguided and unattainable as trying to catch a ladybird that isn't even there? What if this pursuit which is taking up all your energy and all your time and all your money is as fruitless as trying to catch an imaginary wasp at two in the morning? In Song of Songs, there are two people who are chasing one another. It's all about the thrill of the chase. Song of Songs is a book in the Bible, which isn't really a book at all. It's actually an ancient Hebrew love poem, which is why it might feel a little bit unfamiliar or or weird. But the thing I want you to bear in mind is that it runs on two tracks. On the one track, this is about two people. This is about a man and a woman who are betrothed, they're married, they're longing and chasing and searching and capturing of one another's hearts in passionate, faithful love. But on the other track, it's also about God and his people. So Jesus, who is God-made flesh, God who became human, and his church, that's all of us. All of us here in G2, but in the universal church of everyone who worships and loves Jesus. So when we read Song of Songs, it's not just about human marriage, you and your spouse or would-be spouse, because God is way more inclusive than that. This is also just as much about the relationship God has with his people, so the relationship he has with you. That's for anyone, whether single, married, dating, widow, divorced, not sure, if you're not looking for romance, God is in love with you. And we're going to read about this all-embracing, all-encompassing love right now. Disclaimer. This might seem a really weird passage, and it might seem really weird to talk about God being in love with you. Maybe you've not heard that before, but we're going to go into detail later. So don't let it distract you for now. Like, let's just um, read together. So if you want to turn to your Bibles on your phones, whatever, however you read it, preferably pages, obviously, Um, uh, Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8, we're starting out. There are two voices in Song of Songs, well, actually more than two. But the two main voices are um, the beloved, the woman, and the lover, the man, Um, husband and wife. Um, I'm not going to do the voices when I read it out. You're just going to have to handle that and do them in your own head. Um, But it says on the screen when they are. Listen, my beloved Look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, a season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land, the fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. My dove in the clefts of the rock, In the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills." All night long on my bed I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me daughters of Jerusalem I charge you by the gazelles and the does of the field do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires and then to chapter four how beautiful you are my darling Oh, how beautiful! Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I will go to the mountain of Myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no floor in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana and to the, from the top of Samir, the summit of Hermon and from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of leopards. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. This might feel really strange and unfamiliar. And you know, we could spend hours digging through this because it's not a list of instructions or a straightforward bit of advice from God. It's not really like a story, or a parable, or a sermon. It's this rich, slightly incomprehensible poetry with a bit of story, a bit of imagery, a bit of metaphor, a bit of history. And that's the bit in the middle that I skipped, by the way. It's a bit of history about Solomon, if you wanted to read back. Um, But as much as I'd love to walk through every little line and word and nuance and image, I feel like today God is asking us to look at the big picture the full sky wide canvas rather than each brushstroke and pinpoint star although that does have a place but there are a few things that might help clarify what's actually going on in this passage so we can grapple with it because if it remains incoherent to you then it might be difficult to learn from. So, this passage starts in the section where the lovers are pursuing one another. They're describing their desire for one another and they're longing to be together. They're like, come with me, my beautiful one. They're like, it, basically they're saying like, run away with me, choose me. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. It's that. It's like the flourishing of their relationship, those early stages. And um, all the images of vineyards and gardens aren't just because that's what they're really interested in. It's not their hobby. It's um, metaphors for their relationship. Um, they, so the, the garden or the vineyard represents their love for one another. Um, and so that's why there's loads of references to like animals and wildlife and flowers, um, because their love is like this organic, unhindered thing. It's, it's wild, but it's also tended to and cared for and tamed within the bounds of being a garden or a vineyard. It isn't just crazy, it's, it's got a purpose. Like it, It's fruitful, it's a habitable, safe space, as well as being wild. It's beautiful and ordered, as well as being messy and thriving but it's not overgrown and neglected. So there's a lot of longing looks and intensity and searching for one another. And they talk about how they see one another. They linger over one another. And sometimes they do this, they're talking to each other, kind of describing each other. Or sometimes they're talking to another group, so like the daughters of Jerusalem. Um, And there's like a group of friends. If you read the rest of um, Song of Songs, um, it's really good. You should read it. Um, there's also, like, this group of friends, and they've got, like, a little choruses to say, like in Greece, in summer nights, where they're like, tell me ma, tell me ma, did it get very far? Her breath's like a form, breast like a form. <laughs> I just actually ad-libbed that, can I just say? I did not do that at Burnhome. Um, <laughs> thanks. Um, <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm going to get into trouble. Anyway, uh, anyway, <laughs> Bear in mind that the metaphors used here to describe the two lovers. Bear in mind that the metaphors used here to describe the two lovers may be linked to their physical features, but they're not a literal description. Surprise, surprise, her hair does not actually look like goats, her breasts do not look like deer. Um, the images used are more about their meaning than what they look like. So goats and freshly shorn sheep and and deer were um, represented innocence and purity back in the day when this was written um, and they these animals were used as holy and perfect offerings and sacrifices to God the animals were the device by which you could get closer to God you could enter his intimate holy perfect love and presence though they were like so important so these descriptions are more about stuff like that saying the bodies of the beloved and the lover of the the wife and the husband are not only gorgeous and desirable physically they're also pure and good in the eyes of God because he is the one who makes them physically gorgeous and desirable not just what society tells us looks good so how can this be about us and God I think it's really difficult for us to imagine having a relationship with God which is this romantic and sensual but if we could comprehend how purely and perfectly God loves us, I don't think it would seem weird at all, intimacy and romance. Oh my gosh, what a reaction. (laughs) Fair play. (laughs) Intimacy and romance. It feels awkward and weird to think of God within this frame of reference, right? Like often we think of God when we picture Him, He's like this kindly grandfather, or like a nice head teacher, um, or a not so nice head teacher, and that person would definitely not be involved in sexual passion or physical desire. I hope, Um, but He is. Like God is the orchestrator of romance and the creator of sex and desire, whether you feel comfortable about it or not, He is well into it because it was His idea. So stop limiting him to your own frame of reference. We kind of need to put that picture aside. That's useful in some context, but God is way bigger than anything that we can imagine. So yes, God is our Father, but he is also the Holy Spirit, breathed into us and the lover of our souls. I think this can feel awkward because... We look at God through this broken lens of our own sexuality and experiences. So we look at him with the same eyes that we've looked at people who have used us or abused us or humiliated us or broken up with us or disappointed us or even just bored us. Or even we just think of sex in a way where we're like, Um, We've been conditioned to think of sex as this like cool, smooth operator, casual kind of guy. And so therefore God like being involved in that is like he's this sleazy old guy who's trying to chat us up. It feels really weird. But love is as powerful as death it burns like fire. That's what it says at the end of Song of Songs. This is the kind of love that we're talking about. This is desire and unity in its purest form. This is not God fumbling around or trying to chat you up or buying you flowers from a petrol station. This is God loving you in every aspect that love is possible. And therefore, intimacy with him like this is not weird and it's not sick. And we're all just going to have to re- like look beyond that broken lens. It's really hard to like get rid of it. It still feels cringy or weird sometimes to read this kind of stuff. But we have to look beyond it so we can experience the fullness of his love. Because otherwise, you're just limiting yourself. You're limiting yourself in your relationship with him. Let him speak for himself. So every time we do want to laugh at a euphemism or every time we cringe or we reject God's romance, let's just check ourselves for that broken lens because we're not supposed to laugh at romance or discard it. The creator of sex knows more about sex than you do, or I do. So we're going to delve into this too-close-for-comfort romance and intimacy that God is calling us into with him through the Song of Songs. First of all, the way that we can understand this a little bit better, um, of it being about that track about being uh, God and us, is that Jesus is the ultimate bridegroom. So in Ephesians 5, in Revelation, um, Jesus also refers to himself as the bridegroom. Um, they talk about Jesus being this, like the groom at the, to the church. So the church, again, like I said, the universal church, we, we are Jesus' bride. We are, we are betrothed to him and engaged to him. And, and we as a church are being prepared to be united with him at the wedding banquet at the end of all things. So essentially, the way the, the end of all time is going to happen is a big dinner, which is good news. Um, So Jesus is this perfect, loving groom who has laid down his life for us. He's committed to us already, and he has covenanted himself to us, and he calls us to respond. This is the most intimate relationship that we can imagine, that between a husband and a wife, a relationship that the Bible and the Spice Girls describes as two becoming one flesh, although I think the Spice Girls are using it a bit more loosely. Um, But the husband and wife are united in every single aspect between us and Jesus and God himself. Again, another kind of um, disclaimer, in the passage there are references to my sister, my bride, Um, This isn't about trying to do it with your sister, in case you hadn't realised. This isn't about championing incest. That is grim. Um, This is again a need for us to remove that broken lens. Um, When in marriage, we don't think it's weird when a husband and wife become family. Um, And even more than that, we are family with God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, in Jesus, because he's made us closer than blood relatives. So, In this um, poem, like exclaiming, my sister, my bride, it's to call attention to true intimacy that is closer than some kind of sexy encounter. It's absolute family and unity between two people and God. The bar is really high for intimacy. This is how God feels about us. So I feel like because we've called attention to that broken lens thing, um, I think it's really important for us to try and skim through this again. I'm not going to read it out loud. We're just going to read it in our heads, in silence. Um, So it'll be up on the screen. We're just going to whip through them, so read fairly fast. But let's glance over this passage with that fresh in our minds, with that perspective of this is about God and me, having stepped into that maturity, which doesn't laugh at romance, but clocks that broken lens and looks beyond it. Does that make sense? So a few minutes, and we'll just go through them. So what does this have to do with all the things that we are chasing? with the things we're trying to catch? Is it saying that we need to chase down a spouse or a happy, fulfilled relationship with them? Is it saying that we ought to pursue God this way? There's one line I think you need to remember from this whole thing. It's this. You have stolen my heart. My sister, my bride, you have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes. What are you trying to catch? What are you trying to give all your money and love and adoration? What's your stance today? Because the almighty of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, the guy who has it all and needs nothing from you, the guy who could have anyone the guy as big as time itself says to you sat in your random old life not looking your best not feeling your best wondering what life's all about he says to you you have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes you don't need to catch anything because you've caught his eye you have caught his heart you don't need to chase anything down because you just glanced this way and you captured the heart of God himself. You have his heart. He's head over heels in love with you. It's better in the, than the moments in the movies where like the couple's eyes me across the room, you glanced, you just glanced his way and he was ready to lay down his life for you. He was ready to die for you. He sees all your imperfections and your ugliness. He sees all your failures and your anger. He still loves you perfectly. Why try to catch anything else when we have captured the heart of Jesus? He's captivated by you. He loves listening to everything you say. Because he thinks you're really interesting. He loves hearing about your day because every single day of your life is so precious to him. He loves it when you listen to him because he wants to tell you just how much he treasures you. He wants to show you what true love is, no matter how broken or crappy or hideous or boring your previous experience of love has been. His love is like the garden described in this passage. It's wild. It's authentic. It's beautiful. It's real. He is not going to trick you or undermine you. He is not out to get you. Get rid of the broken lens which tells you that he loves you just like everyone else does. He is so much better. This is true intimacy. This is true romance. So everything else you are trying to catch is like trying to find a ladybird that doesn't exist in the middle of the night. The identity, fulfillment, happiness that seems so important that you're chasing down might seem really important but in the light of the fact that you have already captured the heart of God himself. Your chase for the other stuff is as futile as looking for an imaginary wasp at two o'clock in the morning. Stop trying to catch hold of the things you don't need. Imagine how different life would be if you expected adoration from God instead of punishment. If you expected love instead of rules. How much better would you worship? How differently would you work? How much better would you sleep? How different would your relationships be? To reach these dizzy heights of true romance and intimacy in, our, in marriages, to learn the intimacy and in, in romance in relationships, it flows from this love of God. We can only start to love like him because he loved us like this first. Expect adoration from God because with one glance of your eyes, you captured his heart. So what's stopping you living like this? And this is where there is some catching to be done. Um, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 15 catch for us, the little foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. So this is, again, back to the metaphor. Um, This is talking about the things, the foxes that eat away and ruin our relationship, the vineyard, with God. But we've got those two those two tracks in mind Sorry, I was shocked by that noise. We've got those two tracks in mind. This is about us and God on the one track, but it's also about the relationships we have between ourselves, particularly that of marriage. Now I've already decided that I'm not going to give anyone in-depth marriage advice today. That's for another time. And actually, I think that you already know what the foxes, the destructive forces are in your relationships within marriage and between you and Jesus. It's your bad attitude. It's your unforgiveness. It's the money you feel is yours, not theirs. It's the 10 or 20 year grudge. It's the work you put first. It's the temptations of other people and thinking you can do better. This doesn't just apply to a marriage. This applies to your relationship with God. The foxes that are destroying the vineyard of your relationship with God are the same ones that are destroying the vineyard of your human relationships. There's this cat that's trying to get into mine and Ben's block of flats. Um, and it's really grim. I hate cats, sorry for cat lovers, but even if you like cats, you wouldn't like this cat. It's absolutely massive. It's long-haired, and isn't that nice, and it, tend- and it is the kind of cat that jumps out at you when you're going to work, or crawls out from under your car at seven in the morning, and he sits by the front door, the cheek of it, and he cries, and I have to say, stupid people who don't live in our flats try and let him into our flats when they don't live there because the door sometimes the doors left unlocked to be fair he's like tricking everyone he's like let me in let me in why on earth do people try and let him into someone else's home it's mad <laughs> it's so annoying we've actually caught people before and been like excuse me don't let that cat in he doesn't live here <sighs> Why are you laying in the little foxes of resentment and busyness and fear and doing whatever you feel like doing in your relationship with God and your relationships with one another? They don't belong there. They don't live there. They shouldn't be there. Stop letting them in. Stop expending your energy on chasing after stuff that won't satisfy Use some energy, kicking the stuff and getting rid of the stuff that is stealing from your relationship with Jesus, because that is the only thing that matters. Your relationships in marriage and with God are not supposed to become overgrown and neglected, they are not supposed to be the stomping ground from old long haired cats and foxes. (laughs) Don't let the person you're dating become a distraction from tending to your relationship with Jesus. Foxes and cats may look cute to some. They may seem unappealing and unthreatening. That's the point. They may be small habits. They may be small attitudes. They may be little things that you say. But in this context, they have no place. They do not live here. They have no purpose but to steal and destroy from what was supposed to be good. Good. Man, there is so much more that I want to share with you guys about intimacy and romance, about the vineyards of marriage and the potential of dating to blossom, about the call to romance that God places on our lives. But I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit, God in each of us has already spoken and he said enough because it's enough to start with the fact that you have captured God's heart. Everything else flows from that. And I understand maybe some of you feel a little bit complacent about that message because if you've grown up in church like me, I'm like, oh yeah, Jesus loves me. I've been told that every Sunday since I was a child. But when you understand the passion that he loves you with, how perfectly and purely that he loves us and lays his life down for us, our, our, the call for us to lay down our lives in response, to lay down our relationships, doesn't become this threat. It becomes a privilege. When I, was, um, when I came to uni nine years ago, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to keep following Jesus. And it, and it was my relationships, namely my relationship with Ben, that was the thing that I didn't want to give up. I didn't want to give it up to Jesus. And I knew that the, the call to follow Jesus again, to lay down my whole life, would require that. And that just seemed too hard, too far away, too much My romantic and sexual relationships, my hopes and desperation about marriage, my idolization of being loved by another person was the final frontier for me. And God made it so clear to me that if I could not trust him with my relationships, if I could not trust him with Ben, then I would not trust him at all. If you can't give God your loose change, you're never going to give him all your possessions. Coming back to faith for me and being transformed by God was utterly bound up in relationships. This series is not a sideshow. It's not like a fun extra to your faith with God because you can do them separately. This is bound up in your relationship with Jesus. If you let the foxes run rabbit, they will eat away at the garden until it is dead. This, my relationships were the path by which God brought me home. That was the main deal for me. That was the deal breaker. And God said, are you all in? Because there is no middle ground. And there are some of you here who will not follow Jesus wholeheartedly and accept that ground-shattering love that he has for you until you give him your relationships, until you trust him with your marriage, until you let him challenge and prune and tend to the garden of your relationships because there is no middle ground. We're all in or we're all out. You can't be half-wedded to a person and you can't be half-wedded to God. And you don't even need to want to. He just accepts you when you want to want to. When you're like, I'm just willing to be willing, Jesus. I don't want to give up this relationship, but I want to want to give it up. Because I know that it's worth it. Because I know that your love is the only thing that satisfies. And if I rely on this person, I will kill this relationship. I will turn them into a God that they cannot be. So I believe that for some of us today, that this is a step towards following Jesus all over again, all for the first time. So we've changed our stance. We've stepped into maturity that looks beyond the broken lens of sexuality that we've inherited just as being human. And we have glanced at Jesus and captured his heart. And so we can stop trying to catch love any other way. We have recognized that we need to tend to and grow our relationship with God by catching the little foxes that destroy and hinder it. And from this place, all other relationship flows, our relationships with one another. So you can respond to any of these. Maybe you're going to pick out one of the little foxes that's destroying your marriage or destroying your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're going to keep looking beyond that broken lens of sexuality so you can experience intimacy and romance without baggage But for all of us, we're going to do that by reflecting upon the love that God has for us and let everything else flow from there. So would you stand with me? You have captured God's heart with one glance of your eyes. God, I pray that each and every person would step into and experience your love for them today. Would they know that you are totally committed to and in love with them? We have glanced at you. And you have given us your whole heart. Show us where we need to throw out the stuff which is destroying our relationship with you. Transform our relationships with one another. Jesus, lead us into true intimacy and romance. Amen.